0: Juliet, Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello, and welcome to episode 123 of Dogcast Radio. In this episode, we have a lively debate about where dogs should sleep, with dog trainers Debbie Connolly.
1: My dogs all sleep in the bedroom. They always have um they can't all sleep on the bed because i'd need two beds um but i have no issue with them being in the bedroom and they do come up on the bed for a cuddle while the tv is on and before i go to sleep and my 14 year old collie cross does sleep on the bed because he's very old and he keeps pointing that out
2: and nick jones they do sleep downstairs in the utility room and uh, they're happy down there and we are happy upstairs in a room um, with the bed to ourselves. Plus, we have the Dogcast Radio News
0: and a review of the book Gentle Dog Training by Michael Hasbrook. But before all that, we have an interview with Lindsay Morris, in which she begins the incredible story of her dog Sadie, who had a very unfortunate and unusual encounter with a rattlesnake.
3: Our dog, Sadie, is uh, two and a half years old, and uh, she is a pit bull mix. Uh, She's an American Staffordshire Terrier mixed with a Labrador, and uh, we had rescued her. Uh, two years ago, um, we'd actually adopted her from a rescue, uh, Linda Blair World Heart Foundation. Uh, the actress Linda Blair has mm-hmm. uh, a phenomenal foundation where she has uh, about sixty dogs that she houses, where she's rescued them from shelters across uh, the city, and uh, a lot of those uh, dogs are pit bull mixes. Uh, they're ones that uh, you know there's uh, such a stigma. Attached yeah. uh, to uh, the breed, and so it's harder for those to. Those are the ones that end up in in the uh, shelters uh, the most around cool. here. And uh, so uh, we had adopted her uh, from Linda Blair uh, uh, two years ago, and uh, we uh just we're very outdoors minded uh, we uh, have always uh, enjoyed hiking with Sadie she loves it uh, we take her up into the mountains a lot and uh, we we uh, from an early age i learned that uh particularly with this breed uh they're very um exuberant and they pull very hard when you're walking them on the leash <laughs> the
0: labrador bit doesn't help that at all yeah. <laughs>
3: yes 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 and uh so uh when we uh, uh would trail run with her in the past in the trail in the past i've um I, at one point i was trail running with her and i uh ended up uh, taking a a ride uh, through the air uh, and uh, learned my lesson uh, that uh, you can't get too excited and run around uh, when you're going downhill, especially uh, with the leash. (laughs) So um, that that explains why when we uh, hike, we typically will try to find a place where we can do off-leash hiking. And uh, so we uh, will go to uh, the national forest areas uh, rather than some of the smaller parks uh, to do our hiking. And mm-hmm. uh, Sadie loves it. She loves running down into the water and swimming. Um, and uh, she uh, uh, always stays very close by whenever we whenever we walk uh, through the woods. She'll run ahead and then she'll stop and wait. Uh, she's very obedient. Mm-hmm. And uh, this particular uh, – this past uh, May 31st, which is Memorial Day here in the States, uh, it's – we were – we we had a three-day weekend and we decided to go camping. And uh, the most of the campsites, uh, you have to book well in advance, especially for a big holiday like Memorial Day weekend. And uh, so we decided to go off the beaten path, and we picked a wilderness uh, camp area. And uh, it was one where we had never been with, uh, we'd never been ourselves, nor had we been with Sadie. Uh, we had been to those particular mountains, the San Gabriel Mountains, with Sadie several times before, and had a really lovely time, uh, and we've never had any bad encounters ever while hiking, hiking with her. And uh, so we went to this place, and uh, it, uh, in the entrance of the park, uh, there's a sign that says, uh, Beware of Bears. And so we thought, okay, well, we'll watch out for bears. <laughs> and uh, But that was all that it warned of. Uh, as we started walking along, I noticed that the trail was pretty burned down. We, uh, we had forest fires here uh, a, a short time ago. And uh, so a lot of the trail has uh, been slowly growing back. Uh, and uh, so it was a lot more rugged, I suppose, than, uh, than normal, and uh, a lot of overgrown areas, a lot of weeds, um, and a lot of poison oak. Uh, and so I was very concerned about that, but uh, and uh, not at all thinking about rattlesnakes. Uh, that was farthest from my mind because uh, just I I hadn't, we hadn't had that encounter before and uh, um, there was no signage that said that there were rattlesnakes either and so I just didn't even think about it and uh, in retrospect you should always, uh, when when you are uh, going to any uh, national forest uh, or mountain area, uh, you should always research in advance and find out if there's any potential for rattlesnake uh, sightings, especially during the summer months, um, that uh, one should take precaution. Mm-hmm. So we uh, had hiked, we had been camping for three days hmm. and a uh, lovely time and uh, The last day, uh, we were by the water. We were just packing up. We had had breakfast. We'd gone for a hike with Sadie. She was running around chasing after lizards and just having a a ball Mm -hmm. and uh, swimming. And uh, we went back, and we were just about to make our lunch, and we needed some more water. And uh, we were using our water filtration system. And uh, using a pump to filter the water from the stream. There was a stream there. And Sadie was playing in the stream, jumping in the water and running across the rocks. And then out of the corner of my eye, I saw her uh, swinging a rattlesnake. And I knew immediately when I I, I saw it out of the corner of my eye and I turned and I knew immediately that it was a rattler because I could see... The fangs, actually, I could see the blood um, Mm -hmm. in its mouth. And um, it was very large. It was at least three feet long. uh, And she was swinging it like a toy Mm -hmm. and very excited. And she was running toward us. And Mm -hmm. I screamed, Drop it. And she dropped it. Mm -hmm. And she dropped it in the water. And uh, my husband picked up a very large rock and threw it on its head. and, uh, to make sure that, uh, Sadie wouldn't go after it again and get bitten. And we looked at it and it was a rattler, and, uh, it was a diamondback, a Western diamondback. And, uh, I'm a, uh, certified naturalist with the National Park Service. Mm Um, and, uh, is, as a hobby, it's something that I had uh, trained in years back. And I've, just recently i just recently taken my uh, outdoors uh, first aid uh, and survival training and knew about rattlesnakes, uh, knew what you were supposed to do. Uh, I knew that uh, there are all these wives' tails out there that you suck out or you suction out uh, the venom or you you lance the area. Mm. None of those things are, are things that you actually should do in a situation like this. I knew that uh, there's only a matter of time and that you must... Uh, Be aware of the moment uh, that uh, the bite occurs and you uh, remember that time or you write it down and you watch the swelling and you get to a doctor as soon as possible. Mm. I knew that with a human... Uh, since I'd been trained on rescue for humans um, That uh, you had um, About eight hours before tissue damage yeah. uh, And I thought Okay for a dog It's probably about four hours For a dog of yeah. Sadie's stature She's uh, about 60 pounds mm. And uh, So I looked up at the sun And I knew that it was about noon um, Just from that Because we didn't have Our our phones had powered out We d- wouldn't have been able to use them anyhow um, and, uh, we, uh, just, uh, dropped everything and, uh, my husband, Matt picked her up, put her on his shoulders and, uh, we just started running and, uh, we didn't get very far because she is so heavy and, uh, there were a lot of rocks. It was a very rugged trail, as I said, and, uh, the, 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 in between, um, there were the the tall weeds and there were fallen trees and uh, so to try to bypass that we decided we were going to walk through the stream and it was past our ankles and we were walking and he was holding this dog on his, his shoulders and I saw a couple that uh, they were relaxing in the stream probably enjoying their memorial day and I screamed to them to help us and uh, they actually dropped everything and came and helped us oh. And I don't even know their names. I don't know who they are. Uh, but all I know is that they just dropped everything. And uh, they came over and uh, the man had a uh, utility knife. And uh, uh, he helped me cut open uh, the lining of my backpack. And we put Sadie into my backpack um, because it was too tight for her otherwise. And... Yeah. Uh, uh, we had her sitting upright, um, on, uh, m- uh, and Matt held the backpack so that she was sticking, her, her head was sticking out, but everything else was uh, uh, swaddled. Uh, yeah. And that worked for a little while. We made it about maybe half a mile. <laughs> and uh, she started squirming a lot because she had kind of passed out. And uh, then she started squirming. And so we, li- li- we uh, laid down the pack, and she jumped out. And uh, went over and started uh, wiggling and <laughs> greeting um, our, uh, <laughs> our new friends. And she was very excited. She forgot for a moment how uh, much in trouble she was. Uh, she's just a very sweet dog. That's yeah. just the way she is. Aww. And uh, we uh, uh, tried to um, get her back into the pack. She refused. Uh, so we let her walk ahead uh there were very there were a few moments where um, she uh would just collapse uh, and we would sit with her and we would give her more water and uh, we would uh, um, try to get her uh, um, into the bag again, and she wouldn 't so she would move forward every time and uh, Finally, there was one moment when uh, matt uh, said, you know, I just don't think we can do this. Uh, I, uh, uh, We're never going to get her out of here because it was a four-mile hike back up and we had to walk uphill. And when there were so many obstacles in our way. And uh, when we gotten there we had actually at one point slid down the side of the hill because the trail we'd lost the trail and so um we uh it, we weren't even sure which direction we were going we were very lucky that the uh the couple that was with us they actually knew and they were helping steer us forward um but uh we um so he said he would wait with Sadie and I could go ahead. Uh, there was a bar nearby um, the trailhead, and we thought, okay well that's um, I could probably make it to the bar and then I could get help at the bar and people could come down and, and help us get get her to safety mm-hmm. and so that was the plan, and so I walked with the woman and uh, her husband uh, um, forward and Sadie got up and ran in front of us and was uh, insistent that she was going to lead us, that she was going to help us sniff out the trail. Uh-huh. And uh, so we, we decided, okay, we're, this is the only way we're getting out of here is if she's walking. Mm-hmm. And uh, so she ran ahead and uh, she was doing very well and considering... Mm-hmm the fact that at this point her face had swollen uh so much that uh her head uh her cheeks had expanded um and uh, her eyes were swelling shut uh but it was everything else looked okay and I thought okay well as long as as long as she can run as long as she's okay and as long as we had to take off her collar um because uh, her neck had started to expand, um, so we couldn't use the leash, uh, and uh, so um, I, we just let her run in front of us. And we had to run through a few streams, and she did just fine. She swam even with her eyes shut, Aww. and yeah. And uh, we uh, she was walking very slowly, and we'd had to keep cheering her on and uh, we got to one point where there were very tall weeds and she ran up there and it. we heard a rattle and it was such a devastating moment because we saw a second snake and it reared up and she couldn't see it, she sniffed it and as she's sniffing it it bit her and it grabbed onto her neck and she took that snake, she had it on in her neck, and she swung her neck really hard, and the s- snake just flew off into the air. Um, and uh, so she got rid of it, but uh, her neck uh, immediately uh, started uh, puffing outward, and uh, there was so much blood at that point. She had been uh, bitten. About seven times total by the two snakes combined, um, and uh, so there was blood coming out of her mouth, blood out of her neck above her eyes, and uh, it, her nose had this very large gash. Um, and uh, we thought, okay, this is this is it. There's no way she's going to be able to continue at this point. Mm-hmm. And she kept, she ran, she just kept running forward, and so. Um, my husband, Matt, ran in front of her uh, because he said, okay, well, if there's another snake, <laughs> yeah. he said, I don't know if, if we can do this. He said, maybe there's just two. Maybe that's it. But uh yeah. You know, you never think there's even going to be more than one um, or let alone one. And uh, so he had this large stick and he was holding it in front of him and he was whacking away at the weeds as he was walking. And I was standing behind, walking behind Sadie and I was uh, nudging her forward and cheering her on. And I kept clapping my hands and saying, come on, Sadie, you can do it. Come on, girl and uh, just chanted that repeatedly uh, for about two hours straight as we were we were hiking uh, beyond where the second bite had happened. And the woman behind me kept telling us where to go, steering us. Her husband ran ahead to uh, try to see if he could get to uh, help before us. Um, and uh, somehow uh, we made it. And we got up to uh, the parking lot by that time. Uh, She, uh, her head had swelled uh, about the size of a watermelon at that point. There was blood everywhere. Uh, We jumped into the car and just said goodbye to those people. We still, yeah, don't know who they were. And they just went back down. (laughs) And uh, we drove off to this bar. And I saw a ranger truck in the lot. And uh, so I ran in and... uh, just yelled across the bar, uh, our dog has uh, been bitten by a rattlesnake, and I must have looked terrible i i didn 't even realize until later that uh i my entire face um, and arms uh were just black with dirt because i'd been crawling yeah. um, through uh, through all of that and uh, mm-hmm. um, so I just uh looked like a nightmare and uh, <laughs> i uh um, so they dropped everything and they they uh the ranger called on his radio mm. and uh the uh uh the station said that uh they couldn't provide a service um that uh they wouldn't do uh they they wouldn't come um they did have they didn't have uh the anti venin uh mm. that we would have to go to uh a vet um and uh so then I called. I, I I I called across to the bartender and uh he actually knows Sadie because uh we often will go when we go hiking we'll stop at that uh bar and there's an outdoor patio and they come and bring uh water and uh, uh a hamburger for Sadie to eat every time they're very sweet to her mm. and uh we um he called 911 and, uh, they said that they could not provide a medical evacuation for a dog and, uh, that we had to go to a vet. So, and it was Memorial Day when, uh, most vets are actually closed, uh, here. And, uh, so, um, he was, uh, both of the men were very sorry. Um, the bartender came over and he brought some water for Sadie, uh, for the drive and, uh, Uh, Then uh, we drove out of there. Uh, Matt was driving uh, at a very unsafe speed, but it was a bit... We were really in such a situation where he said, you know, maybe we we can get uh if, a, if the police find us maybe they'll help us yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh so uh we I was holding Sadie in the back and I just kept talking to her and stroking her and uh um telling her that she was going to be okay and uh um uh, then uh we as we made it down the mountains um, we uh, uh, could get reception on our, our phones uh, um, which had charged by that point and uh, I uh, started calling every vet and was getting answering machines and uh, all the answering machines were telling us uh, to go to an emergency clinic in uh, Studio City um, uh, which is uh, A village that's um, in uh, San Fernando Valley not far from where I live Mm. and we were in uh, the San Gabriel Mountains Uh, so it was about a 45 minute uh, drive Mm. and uh, so at this point about three hours had already passed uh, and uh, we got to that vet um, just within the four hour mark that I had uh, um, guesstimated and uh, when they saw her they said she needed anti-venin right away uh, and and uh, uh but first they we had to pay (laughs) we don't have we did not have health insurance we did not have pet health insurance and uh we had no idea uh just how much any of this would cost us and so that was uh but we were willing um to just spend whatever we could because it just this was such a, a a bizarre set of uh events and uh so we uh We paid for the the anti-venin and then uh, they said maybe she'd be out in the next uh, day or so and uh, uh, that we might have gotten her on time. And uh, so the next day they transferred her to a non-emergency clinic and uh, just to keep her under observation. Um, And uh, I went to work the next day because I thought, okay, she's going to be okay and then we'll come home and we'll pick her up. I called... Uh, from uh, my office and uh, uh, things had taken a turn for the worse uh, and they were sending her back to the emergency clinic and uh, so we went there um, immediately when we heard that and uh, the uh, uh, the vet uh, had us come in and said uh, do you want to say goodbye and uh it was just all too much like we it was very surreal uh, uh and uh she said, You know this is uh her condition has worsened to such a degree uh we're looking at uh renal failure uh liver failure, all of these potentials, and uh we're running out of options her heart rate, uh, she was hooked up to a monitor and the heart rate had exceeded 200 beats per minute, which, uh, it, a dog, uh, maximum heart rate is typically about a hundred. So, uh, there was an alarm going off and, uh, she was laying there on her side. And at that point, the swelling had progressed to her belly, um, and uh, her whole belly was distended her neck was swelled up her head was just huge and she was just laying there and uh, listless and uh, there was this black liquid pouring out of her onto uh, the bottom of the cage and there was this awful smell and uh, I could no almost could not breathe it was just this terrible smell and uh they said it was uh, the uh, necrosis was setting in and uh, there was tissue death uh, uh, potential on her face and uh, um, her mouth was all black and her gums had turned all black and her tongue was black uh, her eyes were still shut um, and it just, it did not look like Sadie at all it just looked like this monster there in front of us and it was... It was perhaps one of the saddest moments of my life. You wouldn't believe that could happen to a
0: dog, would you? This interview concludes in the next episode of Dogcast Radio, when Lindsay talks about the difficult decisions that lay ahead of them as they fought to get Sadie back to full health. You can find out more about Sadie at smilesforsadie.blogspot.com and there's also a Smiles for Sadie Facebook page. Scent Hounds Hunt by Scent and this group includes the Basset Hound, Beagle, Blood Hound, English and American Fox Hounds, Harrier and the Otter Hound. You're listening to Dogcast Radio on www.dogcastradio.com Gentle Dog Training, subtitled No Hitting, No Shouting, is by Michael Hasbrook and has the interesting motto... A sentence aimed at your dog should contain a subject, a verb, and a complement. It's an interesting approach, and the book poses some equally interesting questions. For example, the first chapter is called, Are you suited to owning a dog? Reassuringly, Michael is of the opinion that, No one is born a good master, you become one. The book considers early on what kind of dog you should choose, with some really useful advice on issues to take into account, like, What? breed to go for, how to spot a good breeder, and some traits to look for in a puppy. If you've already chosen your dog and not ended up with the best pupil at puppy class, don't despair though, because Michael also has a chapter headed, The Re-Education of a Difficult Dog. Dogs' physical health and mental processes are discussed at some length, as well as how to go about training, or educating, your dog. The advice is to set up situations that will enable you to praise your dog and to remember and exploit the fact that the human-dog relationship has endured thanks to the fact that dogs generally want to please us. Everyday problems that can often blight a dog owner's life, like a dog who barks, is destructive or jumps up on people, are dealt with and benefit from Michael's 40-plus years of experience of training dogs. I like the emphasis on communicating clearly with your dog and the many ways this communication can take place, verbally, with signals, body language, and by stimulating your dog's senses. The book concludes with a chapter on complimenting your dog. Flatter your dog. If you don't know why, he does. It's an intriguing approach to dog training, and if, like me, you find that an appreciative comment motivates you much more than any amount of scolding, It may well be one that reaps rewards for your dog, too. You can find out more about Michael and his methods at www.dogmasters.com. The Labrador Retriever has been the most popular breed of dog in the United States since 1990. Now, there's an old saying about not working with children or animals, but I think maybe some dog trainers should carry a similar warning. Or perhaps it's just if you gather two or more together, you get trouble. Either way, when I spoke to both Debbie Connolly and Nick Jones about dogs sleeping on beds, it developed into a lively and humorous debate. Debbie is a dog and cat behaviourist who also treats goats, pigs and other pet livestock, and has numerous published articles and media appearances, including Dog Borstal and Britain's Most Embarrassing Pets. Nick is a master trainer with the Guild of Dog Trainers, and also a proud full member to the Canine and Feline Behaviour Association. He's also given a number of interviews with the BBC on dog behaviour and dog training-related matters, as well as writing for Dogs Monthly, Field and Rural Life, and Animal Health and Happiness magazines. And with that... Here is one of the liveliest interviews we've ever had on the show. So we're going to discuss dogs on beds, and we're not going to um, sort of, you know, see who can argue the best and, and persuade everybody. We're just going to uh, explore the issues, although with you two, who knows where this will go. <laughs> but um, first of all, I want to find out where your dogs sleep. And I, I will be totally honest, and I'll, I'll start this off, OK, because uh, I can always cut it out later. But I'll start us off. <laughs> but we've got three dogs and two of ours sleep in the bedroom and one sleeps in a crate in the lounge purely because he is still at the stage where he you know he's not that trustworthy toilet training toilet training wise or chewing up so he's in a crate in the lounge but he will graduate to the bedroom eventually so um debbie where do your dogs sleep
1: well i have to say i win here because i've got five dogs (laughs) Um, you trumpet and, and And seven cats. So um, my bed's fairly busy, let's say. Um, simple answer is my dogs all sleep in the bedroom. They always have. Um, they can't all sleep on the bed because I'd need two beds. Um, but I have no issue with them being in the bedroom. And they do come up in the bed for a cuddle while the TV is on and before I go to sleep. And my 14-year-old, Collie Cross, does sleep on the bed because he's very old. And he keeps pointing that out.
0: Yeah. Oh. So they choose, they come up and have a cuddle and then get off
1: and... Yeah, yeah then they have, they have to leave so I can actually lie down in the bed and go to sleep. Apart from the old boy, he can do what he likes. And I, I do run the gambit of various cats who like to not just be um, on the bed, but in the cold weather, get
0: in the bed. Wow, right, okay. Um, so, Nick, where do your dogs
2: sleep? Well, if it was Top Trump's, I would have lost because I've only got two dogs. But um, they do sleep downstairs in the utility room, uh, which in the winter is um, it can be a bit drafty. So I make some efforts to ensure it's uh, the draft is uh, excluded and uh, they're happy down there. And we are happy upstairs in a room um, with the bed to ourselves. Uh, sarah and i yeah. Again,
0: <laughs> so family program yeah.
2: we'll leave it at that <laughs> yeah yeah family program <laughs> but that's where the dogs lie and um you know they they come into the household as puppies starting there and that's where they stay and uh you know so they're, they're happy and it suits us anyway
0: yeah yeah okay so um let's start with you then nick Why? Why have you made that decision that that's where they sleep, that they're not going to have access to the bedroom?
2: Yeah, well, you know, we started owning dogs long before I was working in behaviour and training. And and so largely it's historical Mm -hmm. um, and it's based on personal preference. And I I think, you know, there is a good deal uh, of room for taking into account one's own preferences. And some people love to have dogs sleeping with them on the bed and other people would find the idea abhorrent um I don't find it abhorrent you, you know and only on Sunday little Pip my border terrier uh came, came up and she sort of spent half an hour on the bed with me for coffee on a Sunday morning but so that's that suits me that's that's great
0: yeah yeah but when you when you're sleeping when it's nighttime, the dogs belong somewhere. yeah and I,
2: yeah. I I think it would be fair to say I mean I think maybe if I didn't exist Sarah would probably have a border terrier on the bed
1: sounds like a fair swap to me
2: (laughs) (laughs) well that again I'm just I wish I had a good retort for that
0: (laughs) well Nick that is is so
2: good that I can't there's no comeback is there
0: (laughs) when you think of the retort you email it to me and I will include it in the show okay
2: (laughs) Delia Smith did a nice chocolate retort (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but anyway that not oh dear you can yeah. edit that out can't I, you
0: i can i apparently yeah. um uh, now well. one of the things i like about sort of dog training is that there are kind of more answers than questions if you like you know that you've one problem and if you talk to six different trainers they'll all say something different to you or you know there'll be mm. six variations so
2: yeah that's you know, that's true but bear in mind that debbie and i are always right
0: well, <laughs> you can't both. You can't both be right on this because Debbie, I'm going to come to you yes. now. So why why are you not bothered that the dogs are in the bedroom? How did you come to that?
1: Well, the, first of all, I think I think Nick has made a very good point. Um, surprising, but you know, uh, yeah. Nick Nick has made a very good point. Personal preference, I think, is the key, and I think in dog training overall there is no one size fits all for anything either as a training method or a management method or anything else for that matter and True. you know i think it pers- a, per- a person's individual circumstances are absolutely valid you know i don't have children I- i've chosen relationships um you know with-, with with romantic relationships with men that that have included the dogs as, as part of the deal so I-, I think everybody has to find their own path in this but to me I wouldn't have them, and, and it's an expression I use a lot, but if I was the sort of trainer whose dogs live outside in kennels, and, and the truth is a lot of trainers do live like that with their dogs, that's their choice, but if I was the sort of trainer who did that, I truly wouldn't have them because I may as well have a picture on the wall. Yes. Now, as, as a busy person who... Um, who travels a lot, who does a lot of stuff, um, that time is quite valuable. I mean, all right, I'm asleep for some of it, but that time's quite valuable. I like the fact, you know, we, we go and watch TV at, at 11, 12 o'clock and they kind of crashed out in the bed around the floor and they come up randomly for a, a bit of attention and go away again. So to me, it's part of the whole package of what I'm giving them, my time and attention, as well as, I. I it just doesn't, bother me at all I mean yeah. there's been some very amusing things that have happened but <laughs> it is a family show so we won't go there but the, to, to me it is part and package of the deal I I, I am busy um, I, I enjoy my time with them um, and and I do honestly like the fact that you know I'm laid in bed at midnight with a couple of dogs on, a, on the bed and a couple of cats yeah. in it and, and have a bit of a cuddle but uh, there, there are some serious training issues here, which I'm sure we'll get on to in a minute. Um, but I, I just, I, I kind of like the, the, the sort of intimacy and the attention and the affection. And, and I just, I find that that's a, a time that, that I enjoy it. And I think it's important to remember, dogs don't know it's a bed and it's special to us. And it, it's, you know, to some extent, a, a room that we have a, a different kind of attachment to. Yeah. I, I think for me, I just think they enjoy my attention and I enjoy giving it. So I, I just, I don't... As I said, one size doesn't fit all. I don't have a problem with it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now, you mentioned training, and I guess we'd better get mentioned training again and sort of discuss it a bit further since I've got you here. So, uh, the, Nick, are there ev- is there ever an advantage? You know, have you ever been in, in a situation where the dog and the person aren't bonded or anything like that? Can, is there ever an advantage to having the dog in the bed, you know, from a training point of view?
2: From a training point of view... Um, I think that the biggest thing that could happen as a result of spending sleep, having your dog sleeping on the same bed as you is that, that there is an increase in bonding. Mm. But ironically, uh, and I know Debbie will find it as well, because we will both see very similar, you know, jobs. Ultimately, yeah. um, that sometimes that bonding can go uh, too far the dog is therefore unable to cope when left alone um, and then we can see issues of separate for, uh, for examples issues such as separation anxiety occurring um, or even let's say you know owner turns round in the middle of the night only to be bitten by a yeah. grumbling growling yeah. dog mm. now that's not that's not to say I hasten to add that just because you have a dog on the bed that's going to happen and I'm sure Debbie and I are on in complete agreement by and large that um, if you are having dogs on the bed, it's prudent to have some rules around it. And if, as Debbie is, you're in a multi-dog household, that you'll need to go to extra careful lengths to ensure that the dog's expectations are set and, and that the, the routines are fair and measured. Um, and so... The, the the need to be careful ar- around uh, having dogs on bed, I think, is is certainly there. Mm. But as as you might expect, uh, D- Debbie is a professional and she knows exactly what pitfalls to avoid and and. So you know I think it's a, sometimes my only concern about it is the sub, as the subject is well, yes, it's possible, but be careful, and there are a number of caveats that one ought to um, address if if you're if you're doing that yeah, yeah. did I answer the question or did I digress completely
0: <laughs> I think so the <laughs> yeah. question is mainly a distant memory now, but <laughs> yes yeah that was, yeah so debbie, what would i mean do you agree with that do, do you sort of have you set um guidelines for your dogs or does that just happen naturally because you are a strong character does that do they just you know know with you Cl-
1: clearly <laughs> clearly you've met me julie um <laughs> yeah i mean that yes the, the from a training point of view this you cannot be your dog's butler as i pointed out to a client just this week um but being available every second that you're there and as a client has actually done this week, jumping up and down because the dog walked to the door, jumped up and down, oh, it needs a wee, it needs, to, it needs a biscuit, whatever. None of that is appropriate. And, and as Nick said, if, if that's part of... Um, overbonding. If that's part of somebody becoming their dog's glamorous assistant, it's completely inappropriate. And and again, yes, there should be rules. You know, if I say get off the bed, then they get off the bed. Yeah. Well, apart from the old boy who is deaf, so I have to yeah. mime it, and then he just laughs, laughs at me. Um, but um, he did that when he well, he, did, he did that when he could hear. To be fair, um, <clears throat> but you know, there there are rules. It, it ultimately, it's my bed. It's not their bed. And their beds are my beds as well. So, yes, you do have to have rules. And, and regardless of where your dog sleeps, the, the, the ultimate is you you kind of own everything. You know, I, I do let my dogs come up on the sofa. I do let them come on the bed. I don't let them do that unless I invited them. And yeah, yeah. then they can, apart from the old boy again and the cats, because I've given up with that. <laughs> but the, the, the issue of them them being, you know, where they sleep, uh, and, I, and I'm sure Nick, Nick would agree with this, where they sleep is a tiny part of – it's a small cog in a big wheel, I suppose – it's a tiny part of relationship issues that can cause problems like separation, anxiety. It is also, in my eyes, from a training point of view, again, a privilege. And it is, therefore, a privilege I've sometimes removed from clients' dogs because they needed to be kind of brought down a peg or two and and respect and appreciate their owners a little bit more. So I do do class it in in the realms of privilege to some extent, and it is something that sometimes has to be taken away, along with other things. It's it's not a
2: fix-all. Yeah. yeah, I'd like to add that I'm in complete <clears throat> agreement with everything that Deb just said. And that, that, of course, there is a difference between what we might advise with a client with, again, separation issues or any sense of aggression uh, from the dog towards the owner on the bed. Um, so that th- th- all of a sudden the, the, the scenario changes massively uh, if we're advising a, a client in that type of situation. Otherwise, I think again, it comes back to the opening point that actually, providing everything is fine, it is a matter of preference.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, and I, I think Nick and I are going to have to get married at this rate.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> With well, the invites in the post, you, de- you never wrote it back. <laughs> Our
0: first dog cast marriage, yay! Yes,
1: absolutely. <laughs> you never I mean, it. It, it is it is there are some serious training issues here obviously but but it, it is yes personal preference comes into it but th- to me this falls into a category of things like you know I, I'm, I'm a great believer in in dogs licking my face and giving me a kiss and i often say kisses to my own dogs and my cats and clients dogs and some people don't like that either and um, we're, we're back in a circle really it is important to define what suits you and and particularly i think if you're if you're perhaps someone with very young children who are uh, wandering out of your bedroom at night time, it, it might not be an appropriate thing. And I know, Julie, you've got a young dog that's that's uh, crated uh, crate at night, and I'm a great believer in that as well. All of my own dogs that have come to me as puppies, and some of the older ones, have used a crate at night time until I'm sure where they fit in. Are they clean? Are they happy? Are they comfortable? So. Everyone ultimately has ended up in the bedroom, but they didn't necessarily start there. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah that, that's, that's, perhaps I could add to that, mm-hmm. that that's very uh, true as well, that mm-hmm. the, the bedroom is, if you like, um, oh, was that a sort of phrase you used, Julie, at the beginning, that, you know, once he's got his flying colours, that ultimately that dog will come into the room. Yeah. And, yeah. and so, yeah, we should see it as a progression rather, uh, and, and indeed then a privilege, rather than actually starting there.
0: Talking about sort of the the training aspect and and the the working your dog aspect, Um, we went to Barbara Sykes' farm and we did the sheepdog experience recently. Uh And some of the other participants were really surprised that her dog that worked 2,000 sheep during the day slept on her bed at night. Now, she Uh said... But if she was going for um, a trial and and the dog was actually sort of, it wasn't just an ordinary working day, she was going to try and win a trial, that the dog slept downstairs the night before just to make that difference of, you've got to listen to me. However, I've also interviewed Graham Sims, who's an author, and he works up to nine um, sheepdogs at one time. Um, And he says when he goes off to do displays, he and nine dogs will go well, up to 14 dogs, he and four, up to 14 dogs go away in the caravan and sleep in the caravan the night before. And he says it's great to actually, and he shares the bed with them, and he says it really tunes them into him. And then he finds they work, you know, the best they can for him because they've had that bonding time. So to mm. me, there's two people that absolutely know what they're doing. You know, that mm. get great mm. results, have proved they can do what they, they you know, they
3: mm-hmm.
0: can know what they're doing but two very different approaches. And to me, that's fascinating. So that to me says, find what works for you and your dog. Well, I
1: I also think you're talking about contrast here, though. Isn't that the element here?
0: I I, I assume what
1: Barbara's saying is, normally the dogs sleep in the bedroom the night before a trial, they don't. I assume that Graham's saying it the other way around, that normally they don't sleep with him. And and I I think, to me, it's about contrast. And, And I think from a training point of view, that's the element there. It's different. So the, the next day, the dog's a little bit different with you. They, they just are. Yes. So it, if it's about sharpening up that relationship and making the dog just do a bit of a double take, then changing that, I think, is the point there. I, I don't think it's a case of two people doing things differently to perform well in a trial. I think it's doing something different just to make the dog stop and think for a moment.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, that, that, that's a good point about, yeah, offering the contrast and some, I mean, I've never used it, but I, it just reminds me of a little thing about how you might like to use a different colour lead or a different type of lead for, for a different function. Yeah. Um, you, you know, something I've never done, but um, I could see some logic in that. And yeah. I don't think actually... Uh, I may be right or wrong, but it's not so much about whether you sleep with the dog or not the night before, but it's more (laughs) about tuning the dog in and letting the dog know that something's going to be something's
1: different, different. That yeah yeah way. and, that, and that, well, that was exactly my point really I yeah. mean I think it's you know the, the there's a great in, in the working um, environments and, and I do you know I'm, I'm privileged enough to work with various police forces and security people and things That there, there is an element of uh, an, and, and true in trials <laughs> I, I think there is an element amongst the, the people who work their dogs whether it's police or security or, um, or um, trials or whatever I think there's an element of um, you can't have a a good working dog if it's if it's in your house and sleeping in your bed that there's certainly quite a lot of resistance I've come across and still do um, and, and some of them even have to kind of lie a little bit about where their dog sleeps and, and where it spends its nights I know it's terribly sad um, because there is a little bit of resistance and, and I, I've got a friend who has um, wonderful working trials dogs and, and she has confessed to lying about the fact that her six dogs live in the house um, because she, she does very well and competes very successfully and her dogs are absolutely fabulous but other people in the same working field as she's in think it think it's appalling and and she's she's almost been bullied into lying about it although her dogs compete on a level and are better than some and worse than others it, i don't think the fact they live in the house is at all relevant um, i i just think it's it suits her it suits them and it works and and i, I think that there's a bit of resistance to this you know I, i've had other trainers um come to my house and You know, five dogs come hurling down the corridor and come and and greet them. And I've had trainers many over the years who've come to my house and said, oh, my God, I don't know how you live like this. Like what? You know, five five dogs are milling about saying hello. And 30 seconds later, like any good dog, they've lost interest and gone and laid down. I don't see that as an issue. But I've had trainers absolutely horrified that they've come into my house and found five dogs in it. Mm,
2: I I, I think there's also, just going on from what Debbie was saying, that... um, it's like this idea that with gun dogs as well that they shouldn't be, if, especially if it's a working gun dog, that it shouldn't be living and sleeping in the house. It should be in a kennel outdoors because that's where gun dogs live. You know, mm. it, it's I see no logic in that at all. Um, I think again, it's down to personal preference. And the other point I would make about um, what what you do with the dog the night before is, in my opinion, irrelevant. It's all down to the the weeks and the months and the years of prior preparation. Um, that's, I would suggest, really what it's down to. Yeah,
1: I, I think that's true. But there, there's just one other point I want to make on that, and and I think you also have to look at the human element of this because human psychology is one of my interests as well. And I think you have to look at how much of this is the person preparing themselves mentally, which yeah. in turn does affect the dog. You know, how you handle on any given day, how you are with your dog on any given day affects how your dog performs. And I don't just mean that in a training sense. I mean, it's whole demeanour. So how much of this is is the person needs to do that, whether it's ritualised or or, or something else? They do that. They are therefore more prepared. They therefore do better. So you, you mustn't ever separate the human element from the dog element.
0: Do you think there's a, a breed or size issue here? That is there ever, you know, um you'd say, for example, don't let a Chihuahua on the bed because it's so small and you could crush it, or you know, the other end of the spectrum, would you say, oh, you know, a Great Dane or something like that would be too big? It's going to take up too much of the bed. Is there ever that involved? Nick, do you want to go first?
2: <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, there, there are that does bring up some interesting things. So let's say, for example, we had a. Uh, taking your example a chihuahua Mm -hmm. and it was let's say eight weeks old i would imagine that there would could be a good chance of you turning over smothering and killing that dog Mm -hmm. during the night and i I usually find if you think of something regardless of how bizarre it is it's usually happened it's it's already happened yeah. and And so, of course, it may be a, a freak and bizarre uh, occurrence, and the chance of it happening are extremely slim so but it is a possibility yeah. Um, yeah. also let's let's look at the situation that we have a a couple that share the bed and then we have a dog on the bed it is if I usually say to a couple. Um, OK, I think on balance it's best to bring the dog off the bed at night. The guy usually half stands up as if a goal's been scored by his favourite team and he's sort of punching the air going, get in! You know, he's yeah. delighted. It can sometimes be the other way around. It's not So I, I shouldn't sort of generalise too much. But um, you will usually, I usually find that uh, there is one half of that relationship that doesn't want the dog on the bed. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah of course if the bigger the dog the the sort of the greater the physical problem um so yeah over to you Debbie <laughs>
1: Okay. I've well, as, a the, as the owner of very large dogs, um, the, I, I did once wake up in the middle of the night in the dark with um, two shepherds who'd crept on the bed and were laid, um, if you imagine me lying in the middle of the bed and a shepherd lying alongside me, um, sort of in the same position. I was actually pinned in the bed and couldn't move at all. Oh. And I had to shout very loudly to wake up my two lazy German shepherds who were quite annoyed at being disturbed at four o'clock in the morning. But I literally could hardly breathe and couldn't move. So, mm. you know, far from Trust squashing it. two hours, they may kill yeah. me one day. Owner,
2: owner killed in own bed.
1: <laughs> exactly. I can, I can see exactly. the headline now. Yes, it, it's, yeah. I think that um, I, I, yes, I, I think the, the, the safety element has to be taken into account, whether it's a big or a small dog, if you're somebody with, with health issues or... Um, anything, you know. Of course, tragedies can happen, and sadly, yes, they have. Um, mm. You know, the cats always get the blame for trying to suffocate sleeping people and children. But um, although that has almost happened here as well, um, yes, I think I think the safety element is is something that has to be taken into account. Um, and, and in theory, you know, the bigger the dog, the easier it would be to pin you in the bed or smother you. Or if they bite you when you're all over, you'd be more injured, possibly. Um, so but in terms of broadening that question into something about, about temperament, hmm. um, if, I'm, if I may, yeah. um, I don't think from that point of view it makes any difference. We're all familiar with the the principle of a little tiny chihuahua at the edge of the sofa or the bed, um, showing its teeth and defending its territory. So, uh, as I said, the broader question of um, size or breed, I don't honestly think it's relevant. Um, I I think that size and safety are potentially an issue, but not in terms of breed and size and temperament, no.
2: What about also, uh, and I probably pose this just as much as a question as anything else, but the... the the potential depending on the breed for that dog to take control of that space um i think it's probably fair to say that some breeds might be more prone or likely to end up taking control of that 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 space what do you think debbie
1: well, I think that's quite debatable. I mean, yes, okay, you could look at some breeds that are a little bit more territorial than others. Um, and don't start picking on German Shepherds in this conversation. <laughs> um, yeah, some breeds are naturally more territorial than others. Some breeds are... Um, naturally a bit more defensive. But I find that the problem, if you're looking at at the the sort of more territorial breeds, they tend to be the bigger working breeds. But I think there's a different kind of of, um, sort of causality amongst the small breeds in that people often forget their dogs and treat them like handbags. So I, I think that any breed in any size has the potential to be difficult, defend, be aggressive over a bed or a sofa or whatever it happens to be but yeah. the reasons might be different, but I think they're all as potentially able to do it, yes.
0: Mm. Mm. To be fair, just... I'm just thinking of our dogs. We have um, well, a Labrador, a Bichon and a Collie, and the Collie is still finding his way in. But of the, the Labrador and the um, Bichon, the Bichon will defend a dog bed from another dog or cat indeed. And she'll go, no, back off. This is mine. But you know, she's, she's really good with, if, if it's a human, she, you know, you can do what you like. So again, mm. there's another issue of, you know, if you, if they, if you all sleep in the same room, there may yeah. be issues, Who, which dog gets closest to the human's bed or, you know, the, it is, it is a difficult one, isn't it?
2: And, yeah. And I think also I want to sort of bring up a, a slightly delicate <laughs> issue of how, uh, and, and you're the only one of uh, the three of us talking, Julie, that ha- uh, has a, a, a relationship where there's two, one male, one female in that bed, human, and then we have other dogs. Are they on the bed?
0: No, no, because I mean, I would let them, but and you see, there's another thing we've we've compromised. I would <laughs> let them. Anthony wouldn't, so they have beds um, at the end of the of our bed.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I, I for the record, I think that is. That's generally OK. I don't I don't have a problem with that at all. And and I'm also careful not to dictate to people what they do, because generally, if there isn't a problem, hey, there's no problem. I don't yeah. th- they wouldn't be calling me anyway. Um, so but it's it's the, the point I was the bigger point, I guess I was working up to is it's how th- this when we do have dogs on the bed. And let's say the husband and wife are not in full accordance with each other as to th- that decision and And how that can then go on to affect their relationship yeah, yeah. long term you know
1: well I, I think I think we're back to the human element again, aren't we, and that was my point, point. and of course, it isn't necessarily just human, just husband and wife in the same bed, is it um I think we yeah I'm just it being is p- in our bed. i'm i'm being i'm being p c here um <laughs> Well, I, yeah. I, th- I think Nick made, made an interesting point earlier, and it's something professionally that I often come across. That, that Often the reason that people raise the issue of um, the dog sleeps in the bedroom is is absolutely whatever sex the couple are, one of them quite often doesn't want the dog on the bed or even in the bedroom and just hasn't got the bottle to say so. And, and they sort of build up to it and, and you become the... The sort of tool that 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 makes that happen, and I've had exactly the same situation as as Nick has, where one of the couple feels that they've really scored a point. Thank God you agree with me, um, yeah. because you know I've been telling him or her this for a long time. Um, that's that's and,
2: quite uh, common, though, isn't it? For you, even.
1: Well, well, you see, I choose my relationships very carefully. You <laughs> yeah, see, know, but when uh, you're
2: working with a, a a customer, and and for I know I'm generalising, but most customers will be. A husband and wife with children or without children, uh, and for the best part, that type of scenario you will often find—I do at least—some, uh, not always, uh, harmony over a lot of points. Even and um, and we were sort of Julie uh, brought up the point I think earlier about dogs on sofas, or it may have been Debbie actually, but um, dogs on sofas and dogs on beds are not terribly far away as as issues because. Either way, these are privileged areas, um, mm. and I just wanted to sort of say again that it's fine. I I have my little border terrier on the sofa most evenings, but that always happens with some rules, and and she understands that she can't just get up.
0: Yeah.
2: She's always well yeah
1: that yeah I, I agree with that because that's that that was why I raised the issue of the sofas earlier because I do see them as, as almost part of the same thing you yeah, know the, there's, there's there's the height status there's the privilege involved there's the closeness and the intimacy and and as I said earlier the, the dogs don't see the bed and the bedroom as anything special in the way that we do um I mean I I, I in all honesty i've I've absolutely seen as many uh, uh gay and lesbian couples in disharmony over whether the dog is in the bedroom or on the sofa, as as I've seen in heterosexual couples, which just shows that it is entirely back to what we've been saying, which is this personal preference thing. I do think, though, that um, I, I think animals are on these, these aren't really the questions but I think animals on, on a bigger scenario in relationships can can cause issues I mean I, I, I've written an article about I called it pets or pawns um, because people do use their animals to score points against the other person and, and sometimes you know the, the person saying I'm, I'm going to be very profound now but the person saying I, I, I wish the dog didn't sleep on the bed in the bedroom is, is actually got nothing to do with that it's to do with controlling and affecting the other person so mm-hmm. it, it, you know being, being a behaviour Just... That does mean a certain element of understanding human dynamics and understanding their, um, unfortunately, hidden agendas. Yeah, I, I think I think that d- to be a good behaviourist, you do have to understand human dynamics and, and the human relationships and interactions, because hidden agendas play a big part of what I do. Um, and, and trying to read between the lines when, when a couple are arguing about the dog, um, it's, it's difficult sometimes, because sometimes it has nothing to do with the dog. It is entirely about them and their discord and their disarm and and the the you know it's a bit like leaving the cap off the toothpaste it, it, the argument is is a tiny one or a different one to the actual issues i think it is difficult i i do know people who who've compromised in relationships because there there is perhaps a huge disagreement between not just the bed and the sofa issue, but everything, you know, how the dog gets attention. The worst case I ever had of that was a client who came to do um, one of my residential training holidays with a small breed. I won't say what it is, so she can't be identified. But her husband didn't come with her, even though he said he was going to. And she confessed that at home she's not allowed to pay the dog any attention at all when he's at home. Uh, yeah, quite. I mean, I'd have packed his bags a long, yeah. long, long time ago. But the, the the issue there had nothing to do with the dog. This man has serious control issues. Mm. And and she eventually confessed that his his jealousy, let's call it that to be kind, but his jealousy was also relevant to when their children were a lot younger and obviously very demanding of mum's attention and pulling her clothes and trying to get attention. And And he was just as difficult and once went stomping out because... One of the children was two and a half and crying and getting her attention when he came in from work and he thought he should be the centre of the universe. A few years go by, they then get a dog. The kids are slightly bigger. And he then repeats this behaviour with the dog. So she brought a dog to see me and paid for training that the dog didn't actually need. I actually gave a marriage guidance counselling instead.
2: Through Debbie's last story, it just illustrates that <clears throat> as a canine behaviourist, call it what you like, that primarily our, pe- our job is a people job. I... I I'm sure well I, I guess Debbie would agree but it's most of my focus I did a, a visit today it was a second visit to a couple and I didn't interact with the dog really at all it was all about me handing over my views and thoughts and training uh, skills to the couple so that they could import impart them to the dog mm-hmm. um <clears throat> yeah th- th- this is a primarily it's a people job would you agree Debbie
1: I, I think I think it's a bit of both. I mean, I, I think it's. Yeah, it is,
2: but certainly more. I would spend time with the owner than the dog. But I
1: suppose I, I would see it more fifty-fifty. To be honest, I mean, understanding an individual, perhaps their breed characteristics, perhaps their general history. Um, I I would probably answer that as being more fifty-fifty.
2: Yeah, That's interesting. I, I've always sort of thought, to my mind, that it's more seventy-thirty, seventy to the client. Mm. Um, because it 's not whether I can train the dog it 's whether they can and, and so uh, absolutely
1: I- I, I I completely agree with the point i I just see it more as um, as I said, one size doesn't fit all. I'm sure we agree on that. Oh, and no, totally, yeah. the, the, the issues of, yes, sometimes I'm telling somebody how they should train their dog. It's not necessarily how I would train it. Sure. I just think it's a method that suits them and suits the dog, not necessarily how I would do it if it was my dog living in my house. And, and I do think that's the secret of good training. But I I, I do I just see it more as, as 50-50, that understanding individual breed characteristics, individual history characteristics. I mean, I suppose it's because I've done so much rescue work as well that the issues of the dog's previous history are quite a big thing to me. So I I would say 50-50 on that one.
2: Sure. Nice one.
0: The one thing that I have learned from this is it's definitely confirmed for me that there is more than one answer to any question. And um, I think find what works for you and your dog. But then I really would say... Don't be afraid to stand up and be counted. And if your, you know, if your dog sleeps in the in the utility, the laundry, and it's happy, and you're happy, great. Equally, if your dog sleeps on the bed, or you know, like mine, at the end of the bed, does it matter as long as you're happy and the dog's happy? That's fine. Would you agree?
2: Yeah, providing also that that, that they are free from loosely talking behavioral issues which are related to those privileges
1: no i i was just going to make one more point about this which we haven't touched on which is um in in a family situation dogs sleeping in the children's bedroom and on their beds Mm. that is actually something i'm not keen on i think that's i think that's a completely different issue to anything that we've discussed today so Um, why
0: debbie why would you not like that
1: well, I, I think we're back to issues of, of respect, um, of control, of privilege. Um, and, and yes, the, the, the nature of the relationship between the, the child and dog is relevant. But, you know, anything up to sort of later teens when children are a little bit more capable of, of sticking to the rules that you've established. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, kids, kids do break rules. You know, you say you can't have it sitting on the bed all day and eat your dinner. And, and kids are often reluctant to say, well, actually, I tried to get into bed and it growled at me because they're frightened something will happen to the dog." So I I think as a separate issue, in a general, traditional sort of family scenario, I'm not a fan of dogs sleeping on the children's beds.
0: Right. So, in fact, what we've learned is there is no definitive answer then.
1: Yeah, that was really helpful,
0: wasn't (laughs) it? (laughs) (laughs) I would say consult a professional. Yes, yes. (laughs) Well, if I find a... a if, if you find a professional, professional yeah. if you find a professional, you'll <laughs> yes. tell them. Yeah,
2: um, yeah, finding one. Yeah, <coughs> yeah. Good luck with Debbie, that, yeah.
0: <laughs> Debbie. where can people find out more about you on the internet?
1: Um, you can either just Google my name, Debbie Connolly, or you can go to safepets.co.uk.
0: Excellent, Nick. Where can people find out more about you?
2: On alphadogbehaviour.co.uk, or I do use Twitter quite a bit, and the username is uh, ukdogtrainer.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, after this interview, I would imagine that people, you know, will want to get in touch with both of you and and share the fun that they obviously can sense from you.
2: Wonderful. Well, it's been always a a pleasure to chat with you, Julie, and of course, Debbie also.
1: Of course. Thank you very much, Julie. Always a pleasure. And and Nick, I think we've proved that, that trainers can disagree professionally and
0: remain professional.
2: Yeah, totally. So there you go.
0: Dogs on beds. There is no definitive answer. If you have strong views on the subject do let us know what you think and many thanks to Nick and Debbie for their expertise time and humour The Greek writer Homer is considered to be the first person to write about dogs Dogs are mentioned frequently in the Odyssey
4: Hello and welcome to the Dogcast Radio Newsdesk I'm Kate
5: and I'm Nick Dogs find themselves in rescue for many reasons, but not many of those that do have had a career in a successful movie. However, 10-year-old Berry, a black German Shepherd who played Padfoot in Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, is looking for a new home. Berry and his companion Porridge, a German Shepherd Cross, who has appeared in several television programmes, are currently being fostered by German Shepherd Dog Rescue and are to be rehomed together. More information can be found on their website, www.germanshepherdrescue.co.uk.
4: Sadly, many dogs are handed into shelters as a result of financial pressures, and we all know that having a dog can be expensive. But a survey by Sainsbury's Pet Insurance revealed that the actual cost over the dog's lifetime can mount up to £17,000, which is around $26,500. That is the cost as calculated over the average lifespan of 13 years, with around a third of that being spent on food and a further 15% going on vets fees and medical treatment.
5: Meanwhile, the California-based veterinary pet insurance company has been awarding prizes for the most unusual claims it has received. The aim of the awards is to highlight potential dangers to dog owners, and the winner is Harley, a pug who ate and passed more than 100 rocks. The dog's owner noticed his bowel movements had become more rock than poop, and an X-ray confirmed that his intestines and half his stomach were full of stones. Thanks to the rocks being very small, they passed through poor Harley's system without surgery. Other unfortunate dogs who won runners-up awards included a Chihuahua who was swooped on by a great horned owl, and a Labrador who got a tin can lodged in her jaws.
4: Well, it may be a costly business having a dog, but you can't put a price on a healthy lifestyle, and having a dog helps keep a person fit. Studies show that dog owners walk more, walk faster, and are generally more active thanks to their four-legged companion. Dr Sandra McCune, co-editor of the book The Health Benefits of Dog Walking for People and Pets, points out that dog owners are more likely to meet the guidelines for daily activities and are more likely to have a conversation while out and about with their dog. The benefits extend to the whole family, with one quarter of people with children and pets regularly visiting parks and other outdoor spaces because of their dog. McCune says that as exercise buddies, dogs offer great motivation, and she should know, her walking companion is her Labrador.
5: If you have a Facebook, Twitter or other similar account, you can make a real difference to the world, as was recently shown when a social media outcry caused a 600-year-old dog-eating festival in Jiangxi, China, to be banned. Traditionally, 15,000 dogs have been killed as part of the festival commemorating a 600-year-old Chinese legend, but this year, dog will be strictly off the menu. If there's an online campaign you think Dogcast Radio could help publicize, do let us know. And that's all from us today on the Dogcast Radio news desk. Goodbye.
0: The basset hound made famous in the Hush Puppy shoe ads was named Biggles. The Dogcast Radio News. Kate and Nick mentioned the two dogs Berry and Porridge, who are in need of a new home. And the good news is that apparently, since their stories hit the headlines, German Shepherd Rescue has been inundated with offers to rehome the dogs, and not just from in the UK, but from all over the world. However, it's been decided that moving country would be too stressful for the dogs, so whoever is chosen will be within the UK. Let's hope they get the magical happy ending they deserve. Till next time, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. By phone from the UK, you can contact us on 121 2880922 From the US you can contact us on our American number which is 3158492022 From any other country you'll need your international exit code and then 441212880922 You can contact us on Skype with the ident dogcastradio that's all one word DogCastRadio By email you can contact me on julie at DogCastRadio.com When contacting us by email if you have the facilities please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file That way we can include them directly in our programme We can accept most formats for example WAV MP3 All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website which is www.DogCastRadio.com And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny.
6: A dog walks into a butcher's shop with a purse tied round his neck. He walks up to the meat counter and calmly sits there until it's his turn to be served. A man who was already in the butcher's shop finished his purchase and noticed the dog. The butcher leaned over the counter and asked the dog what it wanted today. The dog put his paw on the glass in front of the ground beef and the butcher said, How many pounds? The dog barked twice, so the butcher made a package of two pounds of ground beef. Then he said, anything else? The dog pointed to the pork chops, and the butcher said, how many? The dog barked four times, and the butcher made up a package of four pork chops. The dog then walked around behind the counter so the butcher could get at the purse. The butcher took out the appropriate amount of money and tied the two packages of meat around the dog's neck. The man who had been watching all this time decided to follow the dog. It walked for several minutes and then trotted up to a house where it began to scratch the door to be let in. As the owner appeared at the door, the man said to him, ''That's a really smart dog you have there.'' The owner replied, ''He's not all that smart. This is the second time this week he's forgotten his keys.''